Okay, good morning, church. There's so much transitions. Taking a mask off, putting a mic on. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Jonah chapter 4 as we uh, um, finish up over the next two weeks our series in the book of Jonah. And uh, just a, a couple of things uh, to think about. I uh, just wanted to take a moment and, uh, and say thank you to many people. I'll just kind of, you know, just a moment to to say good job, Hillsboro First Baptist Church. It was very difficult to do uh, a service, right, for, for Ruth during this time. And so many people stepped up and, and, um, and the family was very thankful. Uh, the reception, the um, food for the family, the flowers, everything was just well done. Good job, church. Um, wanted to say... Uh, Rich got his uh, all of his bus licensing stuff done on uh, on Friday, so good job there. And and so uh, he can actually move kids in that thing now, which is good. And uh, they've got a a uh, trip coming up to uh, uh, do some service projects at Camp Tadmore. And so also again with the jump your dump your junk, I'm always surprised at that fundraiser. Uh, it does very well. And yet here we, I don't know how many years we've done it now, three years or so, and there's still more junk. It keeps coming. And so, you know, good on you on spending money on stuff you don't need. No, a good job on really just uh, supporting our youth in that. And uh, I appreciate you doing. And thank you again for your faithfulness during this difficult time. We appreciate that and, uh, and, and encourage you to, to, to keep, keep doing that. Uh, it's amazing how many people are giving online now and all that stuff. And so thank you for that. And we encourage you to keep going. So we're in Jonah chapter four. Uh, here's a little bad news for this morning. Uh, I got up really early. I don't know why, uh, but I was up really early. So I came in, had a lot of time to focus on my sermon this morning. And so there's like good two, 2.5 sermons here now uh, from this morning. Uh, but I'll watch the clock and uh, and so, uh, yeah, it's just kind of, we're, we're living in, in difficult times. And, and you know, I, I certainly didn't know when, when we scheduled Jonah that we would be going through what we're going through, but so much of it applies. And we want to be careful. Um, and I, I don't want to, you know, jump on anybody or anything, but there's all this stuff and we're all sensitive. We're all hurting. We're all tired. Uh, we're all sick of this. Um, my wife and I are going to uh, visit a, a friend tomorrow, social distance, a friend tomorrow. Uh, and uh, it's her birthday. And so my wife wanted to get something uh, for her. And so we went down to Portland Saturday Market to see Chelsea and buy something from Chelsea's booth. That's specifically what we went down there for. And she bought something for herself, which was not part of the plan, but I lost in that one. So uh, bought a couple of things there. And, you know, one of the things you just have to look at the, the different world in which we live. Right? I mean, if you've ever been down to uh, Portland Saturday Market, it's like half the vendors, right? Because they have to space things out. Uh, probably less than half the people, at least in my experience when I was there, we were there right when it opened. Um, and then as we left, um, we, we drove through parts of Portland. Um, I always get lost. And um, the, the amount of homeless, the amount of, of um, damage, the amount of uh, just closed stuff, um, it, it just, it was depressing. And, and maybe you don't really like Portland. Uh, I don't go down there that often, but, but I, I, I like to be able to experience the city from time to time. 
But even in our own neighborhood, if you walk our downtown district here, it's different. There's closed businesses that were there before or not there. And so we're all experiencing this, this time of, with the pandemic, the unrest over racial tensions in, in our country um, and, and political environment, all this stuff, we're experiencing these things. And I read this really great article. Um, it was by uh, Scott Allen. It was entitled Race in America to opposing narratives. And I, I added one because um, you got to have three because I'm a Baptist preacher. But he, he says in, in his article, um, there's, there's three different narratives. And the first one he called uh, revolutionary narrative. And he showed how not just now, but historically, really after the Civil War, there's always been a group of people that have said, this, hasn't, this didn't work. This system didn't work. We need to completely revamp it and do something totally different. And, um, and he talks about the different names that have been involved with this type of narrative over the years. Very helpful. And he said, if you listen to mainstream media and you hear a lot of things, revolutionary narrative is part of that, right? Defund the police, whatever that is. There's, there's, a, there's a narrative that says, we just need to, to burn this all down and start over again. He, um, and I had to change it to another R to stick with mine, I, I, I called it refor- reformation narrative. He called it preservation persever- uh, persever- narrative. And sorry about that. I'm not going to try to say it again because I've already messed it up. But you hear what I'm saying. And his point was that we need to preserve what is good and that we need to reform what is bad. So take the good from the systems that are there and, and reform it. He used the word reform. And uh, I, I like that, and, and that was the narrative that he argued for. And I think there's a third narrative that's going on currently, and that's just a plain resistance narrative. That's just, I put my feet in the sand, and I don't, I don't want change. This is, uh, I am tired of this. Um, this is, I've heard people say this is all going to blow over, um, or uh, we don't need any change at all. Um, you know, I've even heard people quote, uh, Jesus said, stand firm. And it's like, okay, well, you know, when do we apply that? Here's the thing. When you look at all three of those narratives, they're all in the Bible. All three of those narratives are in the Bible. In fact, some people in the, in the um, uh, re- uh, revolutionary narrative will quote the story of freeing Israel from Egypt. That's a revolution, right? That's, and, and, and would argue that really most of the Old Testament is written in the narrative of a freed people from an, you know, an oppressive state. There's also reformed stories in the Bible. Many of the kings of Judah came in and reformed. They tore the ashram down again. They, they cleaned out the temple. They, they reformed it. Uh, many of you know of, of the Reformation. That's a reforming of the church. And even within that, there's a resistance. Even in the midst of that, either positive resistance, we're gonna resist evil, or a negative resistance, we, we don't want to change. And in our reading, uh, I, I believe uh, part of our reading this week in Jeremiah, or it might have been last week, I, the weeks start running together after a while. In Jeremiah chapter 7, this really just, just hit me. He says uh, in that story, it's uh, again, Jeremiah chapter 7, and he's talking about the evil in the land. And, and he says in there... Uh, um, uh, verse seven, then I will let you, do, uh, excuse me, let me go back to verse six. It says, uh, if you do not oppose the sojourner, I'm going back even further. I gotta keep going back. 
Verse four, do not trust in these deceptive words. Here's what the people were saying. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Like, why did he repeat that? I mean, the people weren't just standing there re- repetitively saying that. What is he saying? So the people are going around going, look, this is the temple of the Lord. No bad's gonna come to us. This is the temple of the Lord. We're the blessed people of God. This is the temple of the Lord. And then he says, for if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppose the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place and the land that I gave you. So here, God is calling for reformation. And the people are resisting. They're saying, look, we're blessed. We're the people of God. And so all three of these narratives have been going on and we're experiencing them today over and over and over again. So I want to start, just keep your finger in uh, Jonah. I'm going to start with one other passage that will just lead us into what we're talking about today. Paul says in Romans chapter two, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? As we look at Jonah chapter four, we're reminded God's great mercy reveals so much about him and us. God's mercy leads us to repentance and that repentance should lead to change. It should lead to reformation. So three points in Jonah chapter four, then I'll read it. God's mercy reveals Jonah's anger. God's mercy reveals his character and God's mercy reveals Jonah's sin. Let's look at Jonah chapter four. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What displeased Jonah exceedingly? Remember from last week, verse 10, chapter three, when God saw what they did, that is that they turned, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. This greatly, exceedingly, displeased Jonah, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. Wow, that is some anger there. And so God speaks here, verse four. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Now listen to that. Because Jonah's going to answer in a minute. But just think, God is speaking to you. 
you're hearing God's voice, you know it's God. And he says, you think it's a good idea for you to be angry about this? What do you think the answer is? Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there, a little tent. And he sat under it in the shade till he till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and he made it come up over Jonah that it might shade over his head to save him from from his discomfort. So Jonah, notice again, was exceedingly glad. Remember, he was just exceedingly angry. His emotions are all over the place. He's now exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, here's Jonah's answer, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant. Now let me stop there for a second, pity. Not a word that I use in sentences too often. When I think of pity, it takes me back to the 80s, okay? And I think of Mr. T who said, pity the fool, okay? Um, Pity, it actually has two meanings. It can mean uh, the feelings of sorrow or compassion caused by the suffering of others, okay? We see somebody hurting and we have pity on him. This is not the definition that we are using here. The second one is a cause for regret or disappointment. God is saying, is it right for you to have regret or disappointment over this plant? Yes, so much so that I would want to die. Verse 10, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should should not I pity Nineveh? And here I think we're talking about sorrow, compassion caused by the sufferings of that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Jonah has a lesson in God's mercy and it doesn't set well with him. So first of all, God's mercy reveals Jonah's anger. Jonah does not appreciate, oh, kids, totally forgot you. Man, now I gotta remember, I didn't even write down what I put up here. Mercy received equals mercy given. That's your key phrase today. So I said it this way to the adults. Mercy leads to repentance. Repentance leads to change. Mercy received, when we receive God's mercy, then it leads to change. It's how we treat other people. So mercy received, 
should equal, it doesn't in the story of Jonah, it should equal mercy given. Sorry, see, good thing those PowerPoint slides are up here. Um, God's mercy reveals Jonah's anger. Um, Jonah does not, God's mercy is revealed in this. Jonah does not appreciate God's mercy. And really what we find here is that Jonah has a right theology to a point. What do I mean by that? In, in verse 2, um, Jonah is quoting the Old Testament. He's qu- quoting Exodus 34, 6 through 7. And he says, I know you're a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. When God reveals himself to Israel, he says, this is who I am. And so Jonah knows who God is. He actually fears God's mercy because he doesn't want it for somebody else. So in a sense, Jonah has a right theology. Now, it's only to a point. Uh, We'll get to that in a second. Second, Jonah had a right experience. Jonah had experienced God's mercy, right? In uh, the belly of the fish. I think it's great here, you know, uh, we've got this huge fish, okay? It's usually pictured as a whale, we don't know. Uh, I prefer the big mouth shark thing. But anyway, it's a big fish, okay? And it's, it swallows up Jonah, and Jonah is, is spit back up. And if you look, this is one of the most, most used children's stories in, in uh, kids' literature in the church today. Um, you know what, though? Most all of them are missing chapter four, which is the whole point of the story, okay? We like the big fish, but we don't like the little worm, okay? And so the little worm is really the punchline here, not the big fish. He never, gets, he never gets the airtime he deserves, okay? And so here, in this whole process, Jonah had a right theology. He understands God's mercy. He even experienced God's mercy in the belly of the fish. But Jonah had a wrong application. He doesn't want to apply that mercy to other people. Mercy leads us to repentance. It led Jonah to some sort of change. Whether you want to call it repentance or not is up to your uh, definition or your uh, interpretation of this passage. But when we experience God's repentance, uh, mercy that leads us to repentance, that repentance should lead us to change how we view other people. Okay. Second, Jonah does not appreciate God's will, Um, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What displeased Jonah? That it was God's will to show mercy on Nineveh. That's, That's what displeased him. You know, what's interesting in that Exodus passage that Jonah quotes is in that passage, we are introduced to God's mercy, but in the next few verses, we're also introduced to God's justice. He says, but I will not. I will not forget sin. I will not overlook sin. In fact, I'll punish it back a ways. And so you go, wait a second. How can God be mercy merciful to sin, and also just in his um, judging of sin. Well, it happens on the cross. At the cross, we experience God's mercy and justice. You see, what the Bible does in this incredible way is it creates a problem in the narrative. In in Exodus 34 is one of those passages. I always bring my students to it. Um, I go, what, what does this mean? We, we love to talk about God's forgiveness. That's wonderful. But then it says he doesn't forget. He doesn't forget. So how do we, how do we deal with this? The, the text purposely presents a problem 
in which we are trying to figure out what the solution is. And then we get to the gospels and guess what the solution is? Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful story. And so Jonah does not appreciate God's will. And he says, oh Lord, is this not what I said? We already had this discussion, God. I knew if I went there, you were gonna be merciful. That's why I went to Tarshish. Jonah also doesn't appreciate, and this is, it doesn't seem that he is appreciating enough God's character. And what do I mean by that? He quotes the fact that God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's who he is. And so what we are reminded of is that God's kindness leads us to repentance. I I read that in Romans chapter two. When God is kind to you, it leads you to repentance. Now, most of us probably had a type of father or parental figure in your life. And usually that parental figure was all one or the other, right? If your parental figure was the disciplinarian, okay? If you did something wrong, you knew what was gonna happen, okay? So you probably didn't confess it. You probably tried to hide it. You didn't want it because you didn't want to get punished. If your parental figure was gracious, well, that's wonderful. You had a good experience with that. But you also began to maybe think, I can get away with this. Nothing's really going to happen. I had a friend in junior high. I'll never forget this. We were, it was just such a different experience. This was not my home. We went into his, he, we came up with an idea. I don't remember what it was, but we wanted to do something. And he goes, I was staying at his house. He goes, well, let's go ask my mom. And so he said, mom, can we X, whatever it was? And she said, no. And so I turned to walk off, but no, I didn't know the conversation wasn't over because he just kept asking and asking and asking. And I was like, oh no. Because in my home, something bad was about to happen. Guess what? Whatever it was, we got to do it. He asked enough until she goes, fine. Why does he ask so much? Because he got away with it. So we have this parental experience. And so understand that God's kindness, when he is being kind, we receive that part of his character, and it should lead us to repentance. Another way of putting that is God's patience leads us to repentance. We saw this in our study of 2 Peter. And when he talked about the day, uh, a day is like a thousand years to to God, he says, the Lord is patient towards you. And and the idea of being patient is so wishing that all should reach repentance. Okay, So God's patience should lead us to repentance. But listen, there's another part of God. God's anger should also lead us to patience or to repentance. You say, well, that's, that just seems like you don't know what you're going to get. What did, what did Jonah experience in the belly of the fish? Yeah, that was gracious, um, but they just went through a storm. I mean, that's not the most ideal situation. There's some punishment in there. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church there, and, and he mentions that they were grieved to the point of repentance. He said, man, you know, I, I, I was angry with you, Paul, at their reaction. 
And it says they were grieved to the point of repentance. I don't know if you've ever been grieved to the point of repentance, but it's a different experience than, than being brought to, to repentance because of God's kindness. So all these are part of God's character. And what happens is Jonah is only picturing God's mercy. He doesn't realize that justice will still come. And so kindness, patience, anger, all those things should lead us to repentance. So God's mercy reveals Jonah's anger. And uh, we see that he didn't appreciate God's mercy. He didn't appreciate God's will. He didn't appreciate God's character. But God's mercy um, also reveals his character, who he is. And I just want to say this to you, because I know when I talk about God's kindness, um, some of you are uncomfortable with that. Not in the sense of you're uncomfortable with God is loving and God is patient and God is kind. You, you understand that theologically and you greatly, greatly, greatly apply it to other people. What I mean by that is you have trouble applying it to yourself. And so what I want you to, to understand is that you cannot, you just cannot overestimate, you just, you can't begin to understand God's love for you. It's huge. So don't underestimate it. Don't, don't say, well, I don't know if God can love me. For God so loved the world, but God demonstrated his love for us. I mean, if you go all the way back to the garden, God said, if you eat of that tree, you will die. They eat of the tree. And you know what? Death does come into the world and sickness and pain and suffering sin and ugliness. But at the same time, right from that point, God begins a rescue mission and says, how am I going to rescue this humanity? So don't underestimate God's love for you. Don't, don't underestimate God's patience. But then it's probably a good idea not to exploit it either, right? I, I just, there's, there's the part of me where I struggle. I know that God is patient. I know that God is kind. But I know that sometimes in those dark moments, alone in my prayer time, sometimes I start to be tempted to and wrestling with whether God has had enough. How many times do I have to teach you this lesson, Dave? How many times do I have to forgive you on this, Dave? How many times are you going to go back to that? And I go, surely, surely it's too much. Let me just remind you that when God says to Jonah, do you do well to be angry twice? That is still kindness, patience, love, pursuing. He doesn't have to have that conversation. Don't, don't underestimate God's patience. And then I, I put in my notes there, but don't exploit it either because that's, my weak, that's, that's where I struggle. And so I need to remind myself, don't underestimate God's patience. Don't underestimate God's pursuit of you. He, he is coming after us, not to thump us, but to, re, re, to change us, to mold us into his image. So, God's great mercy reveals so much about him, but it also reveals something about us. God's mercy leads us to repentance, 
and repentance should lead to change, but it doesn't here in Jonah's life. And so what ends up happening here is God's mercy reveals Jonah's sin. So what do we learn about Jonah? Um, Some have called Jonah a racist. I mean, he exceedingly does not like the people of Nineveh. What is racism? Um, This is something I learned this week. Um, Not some of you are now worried about that statement, but uh, sometimes I feel like the definition of racism is changing. Do you know what it actually literally is? Uh, It is changing in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Uh, So if you feel like it's changing, it actually is changing. You can you can feel good about that. What is racism? It used to be a belief that race is the primary uh, determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. And so when, when tasked with that definition, I would say, well, I don't have an inherent superiority of a particular race. I don't think that way. Um, But adding to the definition is this. This is recent. A doctrine or political program based on the assumption of racism and designed to execute its principles. And a political or social system founded on racism. So yes, the definition of racism is changing. Um, And rightly, it includes system and programs that were based on wrong assumptions. And wrongly, blaming people that had very little to do with developing those programs or institutions. It's rightly uh, pointing out that people did benefit from them, but but what is the real question here? And so, you know what, however Merriam-Webster defines racism, it's not biblical. So what's the biblical definition of racism? Although the word racism isn't used here, here's some actions and attitudes that we learn from Jonah. Jonah sees a group of people as more important to God, specifically Israel. Um, These are God's people. Um, And so in that, Jonah inherently sees a group of people as better than another group of people. Now, if you see people as more important, a group of people, either by religion or by the color of their skin or by economics, whatever it is, if you see a group of people better than another group of people, that is a form of racism. Jonah sees one culture as better than another. Uh, We see here that they relent of their violence of their culture. But we also saw in Amos that there were some problems in Israel's culture that weren't being addressed. And it's really easy to see the sins of another person's culture, but not see it of ourselves. And Western Seminary had a little special on uh, video uh, that they did on some of the things that are going on in our country. And uh, one of the graduates, an African-American man from Western Seminary, shared his story. And it was really interesting to me. Uh, he said he grew up in a black church, and uh, he, he was saved through uh, a conference that he went to. And he said he recognized how bad the theology was in his church. And so he just chased after the theology of the speakers that were at this conference. And I don't know who was there, but uh, he talked about how he found all the speakers, there was four of them at this conference. He found all of them online and he listened to every one of their sermons. And he, told, he said how many hours it was. And he had a full-time job and a commute. And just so 
for two years, he just listened to these people's sermons. Totally shaped his theology, ended up going to Western Seminary, and he graduated and uh, went off and he was working in some in multicultural churches, mostly white churches. And uh, after one of the shootings many years ago, he was, his heart was broken. And he went to his church, predominantly white, and he said he was so broken that he just wept in the pew. Beginning of the service, the end of the service, he just wept. And he said not one person came up to him. Not one. And he said, friends, I just want to tell you that would never happen in a black church. And, he, and so what he's saying is, he's, look, theologically, orthodoxy, right on. But what I saw was in my, in my home church that I left, orthopraxy, the practice of my doctrine was better off. And I said, I could see that. I could see that culture. And then what, I, what I mean by that is we see something as being bad or different and, and we, don't, we, don't, we don't wrestle with it. So Jonah sees one culture as better than another, wrongly. Jonah is willing to critique another culture, but not willing to assess his own. We looked at that last week. And Jonah prefers justice over mercy for a group of people, does he not? Isn't that what he's saying? Bring the hammer down, God. Where's the lightning? Where's the, where's the fire from heaven? Right? Where's the hail? Where, where's it coming? And, and he, Jonah, actually, God's not going to do it. And he goes out outside the city, watching the city, hoping God will change his mind. So we look at our own heart. Do we ever wish judgment instead of mercy on a group of people? Different people of different color, people of different economic status, people of different political views. Don't tell me you don't because I read some of your Facebook posts. And some of you are not praying for mercy for people on the other side of the aisle. Or at least by the names you're calling them, it doesn't seem like it. So, so what does it look like to want mercy for somebody we are opposed to? Well, here's what it doesn't look like. Not only was Jonah a racist, but you know what? Jonah was a quitter. He quits. I mean, I don't know how else to explain it. The Lord says to him, do you well to be angry? Next verse, Jonah went out of the city. Out of what? Out of the greatest revival probably recorded in Scripture, God's prophet doesn't stick around for discipleship. He doesn't, he doesn't say, Here, here's what we should do next, folks. This is awesome. Let's set up a church service. We need to have a sacrifice to Yahweh. No, what does he do? He quits. He leaves. He up and leaves. When we, when we quit... When we do the resistance thing and say, I'm not going to change and no one else is going to change and I'm going to be the same, when we put our, that's quitting. We are called to be ambassadors. We are called to be reformers. Not only does he quit, but what does Jonah do? He takes shelter. What's the first thing Jonah does when he, when he quits? I'm going to make this, I need to make this a little easier on myself. It's hot out here. I need a tent. 
And then he just sits back and watches. Oh, man. I am limiting. Personally, I have to limit my news intake. I feel obligated to watch because something changes every day, but my heart can only take so much. Just, I'm just being honest. I can, can only do so much. I, I, I try to watch, like, watch up to the weather. There's no sports, so you just and then turn it off. Okay, make sure, make sure we're still, you know, within the same guidelines or whatever it is. At some point, as we quit and shelter in place by demand, and we start to watch, and because we're not participating, because we're not maybe joining together, because we're not in our community as much, we start to sit back and we go, oh, is this it? Am I watching the end? Is, this, is it all going to burn? I go, Man, I don't want that. I have grandkids. I want to see grow up. One of them, David, one of them's playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star already. Pretty awesome. Like, I want to, see, I want to go to her first recital. Like, I, I, look, if God comes, great. But we are fully invested in whatever God has for us. So we don't want to just sit back and watch like Jonah did. And ultimately, Jonah desires God's wrath over God's mercy. So Christian, are you wishing for the destruction of another group? Have you quit being part of the solution? We're all called to shelter in place. I understand that. But are you sheltering from the world that you live in and just kind of giving up on it? Are you just sitting back and watching? Do you desire God's wrath more than God's mercy? And I, I would just, we, we sometimes maybe think that. But let me just say that you're pretty confident if you really want that. And I would say overconfident. We talked about last week, he says, well, I asked Jesus into my heart and, or whatever, or how's God going to be fair? And, and and uh, I forget which theologian it was that just had this illustration of if you had a tape recorder around your neck every day for your whole life. And God just said, you know what? Forget, I won't judge you according to my word. I'm just going to judge you according to your judgments. How you treated other people. That's all I'm going to do. And if you think you would stand that test, well, wow. Oof. I, when we experience God's mercy, and that washes over us and we're made clean. We have to, we should, we, we, we need to desire other people to experience that. So, um, finally, I think God's mercy just also reveals his heart. And what we see is over and over again, people matter to God. Um, this, this, we can't get away from this storyline of scripture. People, broken people, sinful people, messed up people matter to God. So what's the application in action? Um, God leaves with Jonah with a question. And shouldn't I pity Nineveh? Let me just ask you three things this morning. Do you recognize God's mercy in your life? Do I really recognize God's mercy in my life? Um, do I recognize when God is being kind to me? In those quiet moments when God is coming alongside me, do I recognize how much I've really been forgiven, how fortunate I am to have the relationships 
and the people and the experiences in my life? Do I recognize God's mercy or do I pat myself on the back? Look what I've obtained. Look where I've come. Have I responded to God's mercy in my life? Maybe you're listening this morning and and we're talking about God's mercy. Have you received it? Have you you bowed your knee to Jesus Christ and, and given your life over to him because he is offering you his forgiveness? He is offering you his son's life. God is saying, come and be in relationship with me. Confess your sin, repent and follow me. Have you responded to that? Or do you just kind of keep God at a distance? I don't believe that's for me, it's for other people. Or I just don't know who you are yet. Look, at some point, you have to respond to that mercy. You have to make a decision. And then the question from Jonah chapter four that's pinned on all of us is do I share God's mercy with others? Do I take what has been given to me and share it with other people? The New Testament story, Jesus tells, their man owed an exceedingly huge debt. One that that, the numbers that Jesus uses is just impossible. You're never paying that back. And he asks for mercy from the king and the king forgives the debt. And he runs into somebody that owes him money, a few bucks chump change, something that could be paid back at the end of the week. And the man shows no mercy on him, throws him into prison. Now the king, the king hears about it. And the king asks him in a different way, do you do well to be angry? But here the king says, No, I will put you back in prison, left to rot. Look, Jesus is telling us something. He is saying, if you've experienced God's mercy in a real way, you will repent and you will be changed. If you have not experienced God's mercy in a real way, that's not true repentance if you can't show it to other people. So I ask you, how do you show God's mercy with others? That's the challenge left before us. As a church, how do we be a part of the reforming that's happening in our nation, in our community, in the lives of people? These are hard questions. I I don't have easy answers. But I know that we've experienced God's mercy and we have something awesome to share. Let's pray. Father God, I, uh, I thank you for your love for us and uh, the mercy that you've shown us, the kindness that you continue to show us. Um, pr- I pray, Lord, that we would receive it, that we would internalize it, and that we would share it with other people. Um, God, this has been just a tough series. It's hard, especially in the times that we live in. So we pray that you would just give us wisdom to see, to hear, uh, and to sense the, the, the Spirit's leading in our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.